Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of GUcast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter Mac in Melbourne, joined not again on this occasion by my usual co-host, uh, Dr. Renu Epen, but um, Daniel Moon, Associate Professor Daniel Moon, um, a friend of the podcast, is sitting in the big uh, the, the big seat today, Dan. Yeah, I big shoes to fill. I feel pretty privileged to be um, called off the bench, but it's um, always great to be involved. So yeah, and Renu is very critical anytime she is not dialed in herself, so we better be oh, careful. Oh no, she'll be watching and scrutinising yes. and making sure we keep the standards up. That's what she does, Dr. Epen. She's actually gallivanting off to ASCO GU in San Francisco, so yes. she's going to um, dial in, I think, for an episode in the next few days, but she's not here today. She's en route to San Francisco. So hello, Renu. I hope you're having fun. Um, yeah, so Daniel, thanks for coming back in. You've been on the podcast many times before, um, but today we want to talk about one of our favourite topics again, of course, PSMA PET CT, and we want to talk about um, uh, the, 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 the fallout, I suppose, from last year's uh, primary trial. Uh, that you were very involved with. Yeah, we spoke previously on um, one of these podcasts about primary yep. when it was published, um, and that was a really exciting development uh, and a really good example of collaboration between different centres in Australia and different specialties in urology and the really cross-pollination of imaging, exactly. nuclear medicine and clinical urology to bring to patients the best form of diagnosis for prostate cancer and it's really advanced our knowledge, understanding and our algorithm in helping exactly. men through this um, process from back when we were training and it was a PSA and a random biopsy to now really sophisticated diagnostic techniques. Exactly, and that's what we're going to dwell on today. Um, And we've got some fantastic guests coming into the studio to talk about PSMA PET for early detection. That's what we're talking about, primary uh, setting um, and a very exciting trial that just opened this week. But before we do that, um, we have a new segment uh, on GUcast uh, uh, that we're going to come to. Um, now, and we hope you enjoy it. We've been thinking for a while about um, adding in a little extra segment here and there. So we've decided to invite our new registrar, Dr. Aoife McVeigh, uh, to come and do a little segment for us every week. Aoife, welcome to GUcast. Thank you, Declan. I've been a longtime fan of the podcast and I'm really happy to join the team here at Peter Mac. Fantastic. You're very welcome. Now, you're, you're also a keen uh, social media user. Yeah. Uh, you're involved in a podcast yourself. What's the other podcast called? Yeah, it's called The Morning Stream. So you can <laughs> see us on, on uh, Twitter as well if you want to listen to, yeah, possibly not as academic as your podcast, but you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> Even less academic listen. than yeah. our podcast. Okay, The Morning Stream. We'll put it in the show notes. So Aoife, yeah. and who else is on that podcast with you? Uh, so that's with Sean. He's one of the PhD um, researchers here and Gideon as well. He's it's one of the other researchers, yeah. Fantastic. So morning stream, but you've you know you've made a guest appearance. You're coming from the vaunted uh, morning stream podcast, and you're going to duck into GUcast. And what's yeah. your little segment going to be called every so often? Uh, so I'm going to try and think of a more inventive name, but so far I'm going to say it is uh, things I've seen on Twitter this week. Things I've seen on yeah. Twitter this week. Okay, yeah. so that's that's what we uh, we have. We've got things I've seen on Twitter this week with Dr. Aoife McVeigh, which is mm-hmm. going to feature on GUcast from time to time. So what yeah. have you seen on Twitter uh, this week, then, Aoife? Yeah. So what I actually seen this week um, and it sort of tied in with our week we unfortunately had a patient whose catheter sort of fell out straight after a prostatectomy probably because of a I suppose a issue uh, with with the catheter itself um, and I'd actually seen a tweet from a doctor Edgar Beltran uh, that works at La Raza Hospital and it was uh, a video of a catheter that they had sort of said that you should always test the balloon mechanism of it before you put it in because clearly the valve mechanism in that had been completely broken and 
it just went straight out. And I was just wondering if, if it's something that a lot of your listeners routinely do, because I think it's probably worthwhile just to avoid, you know, the complications that we've seen this week for the patients. Rather, yeah. rather than when you get called to recovery, it's a bit yeah. stressful then, you get called to recovery, yeah. you know, the cats have just fallen out of the radical prostate. Mm-hmm. We like it. Yes. That's a good little tip on Twitter. So yeah. we, shall we put a link in the show notes if yeah. people want to follow that tweet? Yeah. Okay. I like yeah. that one, Dan. It was quite impressive as well, because, yeah, yeah, you can see the water going straight out and yeah for the sake of a couple of seconds just just to check the patency of the balloon i think it's probably worthwhile and something that i'll think about doing now so fantastic good tip we like that one okay what else uh yeah and then i think probably next week and what i'll be listening to over the the coming week on twitter will be asco um gu that's coming up and renee's obviously gone there so she'll be able to tell us you know firsthand what's what's uh how it was and yeah i'll be i'll be keeping up with that yeah, and the hashtag G, uh, GU22. Yeah. Um, so ask your GU, big meeting for any of you out there, of course, interested mm-hmm. in GU oncology. It's not just advanced uh, GU oncology. There's quite a lot of surgically oriented stuff in there as well. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. We'll, you'll be following that with some advice next week. I will, yeah. Follow along with the hashtag. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything else for us this week? Uh, I don't think anything else this week. I will continue researching, though. Um, I think Kylie Jenner had a baby on Called It Wolf. <laughs> um, so oh if that's... If that's you know any content that people want i can also include you know that sort of thing in this segment but yeah it's up to you it's up to you it's it's Aoife's segment that's what right. you suddenly expand the audience here deck i think yeah. i like it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> terrific or if any listeners have suggestions for stuff that they've seen that uh, yeah. might pique uh, Aoife's interest what's your twitter hand, um, uh, handle Aoife? Uh, it's at Aoife mcveigh um but my name is spelt uh, very different to how it's pronounced so it's a o i f e there yeah. you go. Beautiful Irish Do we name. know Wolf's middle name? Um, we're not sure of Wolf's middle name, actually. I'll have to find that out next week. We'll, uh, right. And Wolf with an E, I assume. I think with an E, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, uh, Aoife McVeigh. If you have yeah. suggestions, uh, we'll include her Twitter handle in the show notes as well today. Thank you, yeah. Aoife, for your regular segment. Now you've got to go off and do some real work in yeah, the hospital, I, do, I gather. actually. Um, <laughs> before you duck off, we also have another special guest in the studio today. We have uh, Elizabeth Medhurst, again an old friend of the podcast. You were on the podcast a couple of years ago, I recall. Liz? I think I was on like the fifth episode you ever did. Fantastic. Special guest. Liz, one of our nurse consultants here uh, in GU, but now working full-time in our Prostate uh, Imaging and Theranostic Centre of Excellence, uh, Prostate. And you've got a bit of news for us. You want to plug this upcoming preceptorship, I think. Yes. uh, You might have already seen on Twitter. We've been posting a little bit now, but we'll certainly be ramping it up. We're holding a day and a half preceptorship in April this year. Uh, So it'll be held in uh, the Sofitel on Collins in Melbourne, but we are doing a hybrid event, so it'll be virtual as well. So essentially we're presenting to the world how we do PSMA at Peter Mac. Uh, We've got, you know, a really great lineup of speakers, both nationally and internationally, and we're looking forward to having you all in Melbourne. Yeah, so it's a physical meeting. It's an in-person as well as a hybrid option, I think. And we'll include the links in the uh, in the show notes and on YouTube here again today. But the prostic uh, preceptorship coming up in uh, the next few weeks uh, here. Fantastic. Thank you, Liz. Uh, great. Well, thank you, ladies. Thank you for joining us. You're going to vacate those seats now, I yeah. think. And we've got a, a couple of yeah. other guests to come in. Um, so while we're waiting for our other uh, studio guests uh, to come back in, Dan, we should welcome our um, uh, guest on Zoom again, an old friend of the podcast. It's a great pleasure to welcome back uh, uh, Professor Louise Emmett uh, joining us from St. Vincent's in Sydney. Louise, welcome back to GUcast. Oh, thanks Declan and Dan. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Welcome back. And uh, look, great to see you. Um, We had you on a few months ago when the primary trial was uh, published in European Urology, Dan, isn't that right? And 
yeah. um, again that's just what Dan was referring to earlier so uh, primaries um, we can do a little refresh on it now you might uh, help us with mm. that a uh, very important trial but as the trial was developing obviously we knew it would be interesting and positive and we all started thinking about the, the next yeah. steps really Dan well I think to put it in context so that um, everyone listening understands where it's come from um, Australia being one of the, the leading countries to um, offer PSMA PET scanning for prostate cancer so we've found ourselves at the forefront of exploring this form of imaging and of course initially all the studies were in staging um, because it did prove to be quite superior to traditional methods of looking for prostate cancer when it spread um, but the more we analysed those studies the more particularly in yourself and Louise are very heavily involved in this the more you realised actually if you look carefully at the prostate itself it gave a pretty good idea of what was going on in the primary tumour in the prostate and so then primary became one of the first prospective studies to then look at um, whether or not you could use PSMA-PET bringing it forward to look for prostate cancer in the diagnosis early on um, as opposed to wait until you have a diagnosis of prostate cancer and look for cancer elsewhere. So I guess over to Louise, who really should be the one giving us the synopsis of this trial because it's it's really your... Uh, creation. Yeah, Louise was the PI on the trial. She's a nuclear medicine physician at uh, St. Vincent's in Sydney. Uh, and Louise, that's what we're going to ask you to do first is a quick recap for listeners out there. Remind us what was the primary trial uh, that read out uh, a few months ago in European Urology. Uh, but before we do that, we'll also welcome our studio guests uh, who've sat down here with us, uh, friends of the podcast again, actually both of them, I think. Uh, welcome back uh, to Professor Michael Hoffman, nuclear medicine physician extraordinaire uh, here at Peter Mac. He leads our uh, PSMA imaging and theranostics program and indeed that uh, Prostate Cancer Centre of Excellence, Prostic, uh, funded by PCF and the Peter Mac Foundation. Uh, Michael, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much, Declan. And maybe just a a touch of context. The very first PSMA PET we did at Peter Mac was actually on a medical oncologist uh, who had an MRI and it just didn't sort everything out. And, uh, you know, not only was there a question of is there distant metastatic disease, but there was a question of is this really significant prostate cancer in the prostate? And on that very first scan back in 2014, the primary tumour lit up really, really brightly. So when I grew up in nuclear medicine, we produced blurry images, much like multiparametric MRI in the days of standalone planar images. And now we produce these really crisp images. So it's uh, good to see unclear medicine progress. I remember that too, Michael. And I remember him actually um, asking the question at the time, but if we can see it on PET and MRI, do we really need a biopsy? I'm wondering, was that the first or the second patient? I, oh, right. I know who you're speaking about. Uh, Maybe number two. I think <coughs> number two was also a medical <laughs> oncologist. Uh, I recall that, Dan. I yeah. recall that very well. And, uh, ahead of his time. Yeah, ahead of his time. And uh, he looked at it. This is 2014. He's, he's had a, a, a PET scan for his raised PSA yeah. and said, well, do I need an MRI? Do I even need a biopsy? I recall <laughs> that. But anyway, yeah, Michael, welcome back. And um, and also we're joined by uh, Dr. James Buto, uh, a nuclear medicine fellow uh, here at Peter Mac. James, you've been on before. You're too young to remember bone scanning for prostate cancer, you know, because you've been here for <laughs> well, a few I'm not, years. I'm not that young. <laughs> well, look, you're welcome back. And um, James is doing a PhD on the uh, imaging and theranostics programs in here. And you're the main research fellow on the trial we want to talk about today. So, Dan, yeah, I suppose let's go back and let's first of all um, ask Louise to just recap a bit about the key messages in the primary trial. And then we want to go on and we'll ask James to talk us through the trial design of primary two, which is what we're very excited to talk about today because that trial has just opened. So Louise, yeah, over to you. Primary one, remind us, uh, what was that all about? 
actually want to go back slightly to to what Michael was saying to that very first image, which was PET MRI that came out of Peter McCallum. It was a deeply interesting image. And when I was trying to persuade people to fund uh, the primary trial, I, I showed two images. I showed that one. Um, and then I showed an image of a man up in stirrups uh, with 30 needles, um, you know, um, stuck in his perineum. And, you know, it was interesting how quickly I got that funding. Um, <laughs> people, people, people thought it was a great idea to try and move to virtual biopsy. And that's what this is all about, really, isn't it? Is whether we can use imaging to replace biopsy. And so that was the, the premise of the primary trial was if we have an MRI, how can PSMA PET actually add to that? And preliminary work that we'd published showed that you can actually differentiate Gleason or ISIP one or grade group one from grade group two quite nicely it looked like it could do it and so the primary trial and 291 men who actually underwent uh, mri psma pet followed by a prostate biopsy um, those men did not have a diagnosis of uh, prostate cancer at the time that they had the psma pet scan was actually able to show that um, in men who had um, an MRI previously, it could value add in terms of the diagnostic accuracy. So it improved negative predictive value uh, from 71% uh, for MRI up to 91% for the combination. Sensitivity for the detection of clinically significant prostate cancer improved from 83% up to 97% with the combination. So it was really nice. We were able to show that um, we missed very few uh, significant malignancies with, with the combination of MRI and PSMA together. And looking at that, when we look particularly in those patients who had negative or equivocal MRIs, but concerning clinical features such that they went for biopsy, they had red flag clinical features um, in those patients, um, you know, we had a very good detection rate such that it looks like about 38% of those men don't actually need to have biopsy even though we're concerned about them clinically. I think they're the two key findings from primary. Yeah, and but as Michael hinted at earlier, so it led to questions about, okay, what next? This is a prospective thing. Uh, could we design a randomised trial that might be meaningful to discuss where to? And then, gee, there, w- there was a lot of discussions going on. I remember a lot of angst about, okay, what would be the right question to ask? Dan, do you want to talk a bit about that, uh, how, how, how you all came together? Because the co-PIs on the trial are Louise and Michael. Uh, as uh, nuclear medicine physicians and you're the urology lead mm. and uh, James is the research fellow who uh, you can tell us who else is involved but then talk us through how we got to what is the final uh, hypothesis on this well as we went through primary and um, recruited all these all these men and um, the results became apparent and we saw the whole different spectrum of men who had PET scans that disagreed with the MRI, PET scans that agreed with the MRI, men who the scans were all negative. At the end of it all, when we put it all together, we really we did a bit of soul-searching to decide what questions do we need to answer here because primary threw up a lot of answers but also some questions. Um, and what Louise says is really important. It shows us that firstly there's a group of men who have a positive PET and a positive MRI who you can be very confident that there's cancer there now <coughs> based on that Significant imaging. cancer. Um, you also have men who have a negative PET and a negative MRI who previously then would have gone to biopsy, but primary would tell us that, in fact, you can be pretty reassured by that imaging. If you have a negative PET and a negative MRI, the chance of you having significant cancer in that primary trial was under 5%. So you've got good a bit of evidence and data there to suggest that these men probably don't need biopsies. And then you have the men who... The MRIs are good, but the MRI doesn't pick up everything, does it? And so what it seemed to show is that the combination was good. In other words, if the MRI missed it, the PET scan would pick it. 
and vice versa. Generally, often the PET scan would miss something, the MRI would show. And so it seemed in this group of men who had an MRI that was negative or it was a bit indeterminate, but you were still worried, primary told us that you could get a PET scan and either reassure someone that they were okay if the PET was negative, or you could show what the MRI was missing on the PET scan and then use that to do a more targeted or um, intelligent biopsy. Um, and that has two advantages. One is that you do a smart biopsy and you just go to pick up where you know the cancer is. But secondly, when you do biopsies in men who don't have significant prostate cancer, what you end up finding is a lot of men with low-grade, low-volume cancer that they then get labelled with a diagnosis of prostate cancer and put on active surveillance. But most of those men will never need treatment. And so, in fact... Uh, the, you could argue they're better off not, not, not even knowing, not finding that yeah. about. So yeah. what we want to do with prostate cancer, of course, if you take it right back to the point of screening, is find cancer that is a threat to someone. We don't want to find cancer that is insignificant, that's not going to harm someone, and we don't want to put men through unnecessary biopsies or invasive procedures. And primary two is aiming to show a really smart and, and sophisticated way of achieving both those goals. And we already do that to a certain extent because we've so embraced MR in our early <coughs> detection pathway based off precision and promise. So so in this trial, you're not talking about the 68-year-old with a PSA of 6 or 7 and a Pyrads 2 and no family history. They're the ones that in our practice nowadays, if they have a normal MRI, they don't get a biopsy. We just observe those patients. And, you know, that's still, that's in many countries embrace that, but many others are, you know, worried about the idea of not doing an MR. There's already enough suspicion. It's a 68-year-old, the PSA is 6 or 7. You know, a lot of people will be either not able to get an MR or they're concerned about the quality of the MR or they're concerned about missing it. So in this trial, I, I think from a urologist's point of view, you're trying to address some concerns about relying too much on MR in these Pyrads 2 uh, or Pyrads 3 cases. So is that yeah. ultimately what, what uh, the trial design came yeah. down to be... Um, which well, would, you know. also, we bring in James and Louise and Michael, obviously, but it, it was a big discussion between what um, the radiologists felt that they were the... Because they've got slightly different emphasis and different questions they want to answer as well um, in terms of the quality of their imaging and really exploring how just how good it is in different areas. So it was it took a lot of discussions, as you recall, Deck, between, um, between ourselves, between the clinicians, between the radiologists, to, to, to then come up with the important questions... Um, that satisfied all camps and particularly obviously at the end of the day um, gave us the the best for patients. Exactly right. So so with that in mind, um, uh, let's go and talk to our studio guests, to Michael and James about this. And Michael, I think you, know, you were involved in all these conversations as well. And ultimately there was a penny drop moment a couple of months ago when we were happy with the patient population and that led to pretty rapid development of the protocol then, I recall. Yeah, we had a lot of, let's say, arguments about what the protocol design should be. We drew up various flowcharts. Uh, we had some very strong opinions. We sent them off to our biostatistician experts, yeah. and they said, oh, this is bad design. Yeah. Start from scratch, and we reworked it, and we told the biostatisticians, no, we're the clinicians. We know what we're doing. You're wrong. <laughs> and uh, we did that, and, of course, the biostatisticians were correct. So we, we reworked it, and then we came up with the design that, Maybe James will tell us about. Yeah, I think so. Should we do that? Should we get James to talk us through yep. it? If you're watching on YouTube, we'll uh, post these slides so you can see it a little bit, but you should be able to follow along. And the trial opened this week. We had the SIV this week, and we got the first patient in yesterday, actually. Yeah, it's very uh, exciting. Well, Already off the ground. Yeah. Um, so it's a 660-patient trial, Pyrads 2 with red flags or Pyrads 3, and it's a randomized control uh, trial uh, with the non-inferiority design 
so essentially we want to prove that adding the PSMA PET can provide two main benefits that Dan has really uh, well discussed. So the first one is to, save, to avoid a biopsy in patients who don't need it, uh, where we can safely consider them negative. So if they have a, a negative for PSMA PET, uh, pyrads 2 or 3, we can avoid biopsy. And in primary one, um, as you said, it was under 5%. It was actually 3.1% of significant cancers were missed, uh, all of which were uh, low grade. So we didn't have any uh, grade group fours or fives. It was predominantly grade group two. So it, we feel quite comfortable with that. And importantly, the patients who are going to avoid biopsy in that PSMA negative arm will still have clinical follow-up up to two years. So we'll catch them if ever they actually did have cancer that we missed. And if we look at the other side of the PSMA PET, um, if it's positive, then as Dan said, we're going to zone into those sites and only have targeted um, uh, prostate biopsies. And that's going to allow us to hopefully prove another, the, du- the second, the dual benefit of the PSMA PET in this context. You won't really have any other targets on MR generally, so obviously not uh, Pyrads 2. We will have some Pyrads 3 though, uh, so hopefully that will prove to be useful as well. And essentially, we hope that's going to reduce biopsies by around 40, maybe even 50%. Who knows? Um, we expect a population to have significant cancer of around 35% in this, uh, in this population. So hopefully that's going to be a massive benefit for reducing unnecessary biopsies. And obviously, it's randomized control. So on the other side, we have the standard of care. Uh, in this case, we would go on for the template biopsy and um, uh, to and then we'll be able to compare the the results. How much percentage of significant prostate cancer we found in each arm? So non inferiority, James. So that that means and this is we debated this as well. This means that when you compare the two arms, yep. at the end the the ones that have had the PSMA PET and avoided either an extensive biopsy or a biopsy at all, will have the same cancer diagnosis, significant cancer diagnosis yep. in the arms that have had the routine treatment where they have all had template biopsies. And so non-inferiority. But what we will show in the group that have had the PET scan, assuming they've got a similar amount of significant cancer, so we haven't missed anything, mm-hmm. they will have had overall less biopsies. And those men who've had biopsies have had far less cause. Yep. Yeah. And, and thirdly, sorry to interrupt, oh, no, thirdly, yeah. um, we will have less diagnosis of insignificant disease. So we're really just honing in on what we need to find. Yeah, exactly. So those are really the other main secondary endpoints that we hope to yeah. prove. A lot of other really relevant benefits. Uh, I think that's uh, you've summarized really well. Fantastic. Louise, is that a good summary? I, I love this trial design. I just think <laughs> it's fantastic. I think urologists are very, very attracted to this uh, this particular group, Pyrets 2-3 with a red flag. Um, uh, this is an interesting population to either uh, well, to try and intensify and make sure they get an accurate biopsy or better still, don't do a biopsy at all and still have the same uh, oncological staging. Declan, don't you think it's a brave trial too? I mean, when you look yeah. at precision uh, and uh, you look at how a lot of these randomised trials have been done, the, the standard of care is actually a trust biopsy. But that's not what we're doing here, is it? We're actually comparing a targeted PSMA MRI biopsy to uh, a transperineal template biopsy. So, um, you know, we're going to have to be good. That's mm. a good point. It is. That is the, the transperineal biopsy, which is standard of care around here, uh, is going to pick it. Is going to pick up clinically significant cancer, isn't it? Mm. Look, I think it's a great design. I think it's very interesting. And to give you some idea, the, the patient we recruited yesterday, the, the first patient in is, I think for urologists out there listening, will be very familiar. This is a very fit uh, 59-year-old gentleman. Um, his PSA has crept up over four years from four to five to eight. 
persistently ate over the course of the pandemic. He's had two MRs in the past 18 months, both of which look normal. Pyreds 2, high-quality MR, a 40cc prostate. Mm. Uh, no family history, otherwise well. So his his red flag, uh, so remember, normal MR, but his PSA is 8, so his PSA density is 0.2. And that's one of the red flag triggers, isn't it? The PSA density has to be greater than 0.1, I think. One, w- one five? Yeah, oh, what yeah think 0.1. 0.1, yeah. This be above 0.1. Other red flags we have were the abnormal digital rectal exam. There's family history, um, BRCA mutation, PSA above 10. But it has to still be below uh, one of the exclusion criteria is PSA below t- 20. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, it's the PSA doubling time and velocity. So a lot of, I think, the most clinically useful red flags that you've seen yeah, Dan, these are these are the typical ones that urologists out there, your patients had a normal MR or a wishy-washy pyrads 3, and, you know, in the precision paradigm, they would not have a biopsy, but the reason why there's a bit of reluctance or why people will still do systematic biopsies is if we have a clinical concern, those factors that James just mentioned, that's why the control arm is systematic biopsy. Well, so it's also, yeah. Dick, it's, when I'm at multidisciplinary meetings, not only at Peter Mac, but elsewhere, um, every time, every meeting, there's at least one patient where a urologist brings saying, look, I just don't know, the MRI looks fine, but the PSA is going up, things aren't right. Um, where, where to from here? Do we do a biopsy or is there anything else we can do? And here, you know, enter PET scan now to really refine this whole process. Fantastic. Yeah, Louise, um, and I'm going to ask Michael in a second about the, the practicalities of this uh, PSMA PET CT. Are you an hour in the scanner, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but uh, you know, it's a brave trial. I think that's a good summary, a brave trial. But we're very, um, we're very I think, uh, optimistic that we'll recruit very well into this trial. We have done in every single prospective multicenter PSMA imaging or theranostics trial in Australia. And there's been terrific engagement from your clinicians on the ground, um, uh, as well as all the NUCMED uh, people, trial people, everyone involved in it. But I'm feeling very optimistic. Me too. <laughs> she would say. So, Michael, when we're chatting to our patients about, as we did, we started doing this week about this trial, um, uh, remind me, what, what does a PSMA PET CT involve if you're just doing the prostate? So in this study, we're doing a limited PSMA PET just of the prostate. So that's a, a short procedure for the patient. They're in the scanner for about uh, six minutes, uh, but they come to the PET centre. They're injected with, in this study, gallium PSMA 11. We then wait one hour and then the patient goes on the bed for a few minutes. We do look at that scan before the patient leaves, and in the very unlikely event that we see a bone metastasis or a pelvic node within that small field of view, we'll then go on to do a whole body uh, PET scan. And in this trial, we've also said if the SUV is over 12, which is not very likely in this low-risk population, but really intense uptake, that will be a trigger to go on and do a whole body PET as well. Excellent. Yeah, because we learned that from primary one, didn't we? We saw some of these. So rather than have to come back for staging when it was very obvious at the time, we've got it. Oh, might as well run them back in the scanner and get the, the whole body images. Look, I, I think it's fantastic. I'm, I'm very excited about this trial. Uh, I must say I congratulate everyone who's been involved in the trial design. And the funders, Louise, you, you, you had the initial funding um, for the primary one trial from St. Vincent's. And St. Vincent's are contributing again to this one, I think. Yeah, we are. So we have a number of funders at St Vincent's who've contributed, including the current foundation, St Vincent's Clinic uh, Foundation, have been the key providers for primary and for primary too. Um, so great that we can keep helping. And, and Michael, also uh, co-founders and sponsors are here in Melbourne. Yeah, and on our side, this trial really came about through talking to Louise and having our big grant for our Prostate Cancer Theranostics and Imaging Centre of Excellence, which is thanks to the US Prostate Cancer Foundation. So the majority of the funding really comes from from that grant for this trial. And and these trials, they cost a lot of money. 
the, the CROs managing the trial, the PET scans, the data collection. It's a massively expensive exercise to do a 660 patient trial. And mm-hmm. I think this is the sort of trial that industry is never going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So it requires an academic powerhouse to do it. And on our side, you know, also a shout out to the Peter McCallum Foundation that contribute to that centre of excellence as well. And we've thrown in health economics as well as a little secondary endpoint and ANZ up. Cancer Trials Group are funding a health economists through their Below the Belt uh, to do that. We've got health experiences uh, embedded in it and uh, a few other key secondary endpoints. I think I've forgotten one. What is it, James? Yeah, there are many other patient-reported outcomes, so about um, centred around cancer worry, uh, patient anxiety that we'll be following throughout the trial up to 24 months, as well as uh, decision, regret, and conflict in the beginning of the trial, as well as how, as well as how it evolves. Yeah, look, they're, they're beautiful endpoints. That's what uh, uh, Professor Harriana Dillon and her team, and that's part funded by the ends up uh, below the belt grant. But that's a lovely little value add to this. Uh, Harriana has designed very nice uh, PROs that are going to measure patient experiences because patients get stressed. They've got cancer, this, that, the other. So it'll be very interesting, really important, valuable endpoints. And thanks to ends up and all those funders for contributing to this trial. So, yeah, it's a good one, Dan. Yeah, very excited. How long will it take to recruit 600 patients? Oh, well, um, don't forget this is Australia-wide, of course. We're opening yeah. up multiple centres in different states. We've um, approached all our friends around the um, country who have been very good at supporting trials and contributing in the past. Um, so we have most states in Australia yeah. represented, um, and so that will help. Um, hopefully we're looking around the two-, three-year mark. Louise, what your, what's your estimate? Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that we'll get this done in uh, two to three years, um, and, and you never know if we're too slow. Uh, Michael, we, we're going to get some international sites going. Oh, we won't be. This is this is going to recruit like gangbusters. I mean, look, this podcast and other things we use are partly about raising the visibility of it uh, for patients and those out there. And we'll be very keen to expand sites. And uh, I know Cabrini are coming on in yes. Melbourne as well. So P- Cabrini, um, uh, Bridge Road Imaging are doing a lot of the scans. And uh, Peter Mack, obviously, uh, doing scans here. So I think it'll recruit like gangbusters. It'll be great. Like every one of these trials, the, these Australian trials tend to recruit way faster than your expected recruitment rate. So we're going to keep that up. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. Well, look, uh, thanks again. Thanks again to um, co-PIs, Professor Louise Emmett and Professor Michael Hoffman for joining us to talk about that. And Dan, urology lead, James, research fellow on the project and all those who are involved in primary two. Uh, you're, you're writing a protocol paper, I think, James, and we're going to, uh, that'll roll out some, some nice journal in the next six months, I'm sure, to raise the visibility as well. Yep. Yeah, that's right. We'll get it out quickly. Fantastic. Great. Well, look, uh, that's all we have time for on uh, GU Cast uh, again today. Thanks very much to um, the team for coming in to talk about this today. And thanks very much to all of you for listening. Uh, we'll put relevant links down in the show notes and on the YouTube channel. And uh, we wish you all the very best uh, for the upcoming season, whether you're heading into autumn as we are in Melbourne or heading into um, a happy spring in the Northern Hemisphere. Hopefully we'll see some of you around. Physical meetings are back, so we'll be around. Take care.